everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Yet to be Named. If you have any ideas on that, please send them our way. We are Stephanie and Dave Buchler from the Wapiti Coffee House here in sunny Colorado, and Dave has agreed to be my practice person today. Whether or not he decides to continue to do podcasts with me remains to be seen. But to start off on our very first podcast, I'm going to interview Dave. Dave, are you ready? You betcha. Dave is 60 years old and moved here to Sawatch in 2015 with his lovely wife, who happens to be me. First, I'd like to thank you for supporting this podcast venture and joining us here today. You betcha. Uh, It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. (laughs) We're both a little bit nervous. So what brought you here to this tiny little town in the mountains? To Sawatch? To so watch, and that's how you pronounce it, everybody. So watch, as you know, (laughs) we came to so watch because it was one of the places in Colorado we could afford, and that's pretty much (laughs) it. it. So, what brought you to Colorado? I mean, why why would you want to come here versus the Red River Gorge, Kentucky? I mean, we live in a beautiful area in Kentucky, and uh, we decided to come out here. What what brought you here? Well, if you look out the back window, you can look and see about, what, two miles away in that two miles uh, stretch that you can see, which you couldn't see in Kentucky that far, especially in the summertime. In that two miles, you can see there's not a house, not a person, not a building, not a car, not a soul in any direction. Well, I won't say any direction, but at least out the back way. Out the back way, yes. And I agree. Right now, we are looking out our back window, and it is absolutely gorgeous. It's a little bit windy today, but uh, it's, it's beautiful here in Sawatch. So... You not only hunt, but you also fish. Yeah. That's another reason why you really wanted to come to Colorado. I remember we would sit on our porch in the Red River Gorge, Kentucky, and you would talk about your dream of moving to Colorado and hunting big game and fly fishing and, and all of this. Is, is that another reason you moved to Colorado? Oh, absolutely. All the public land that's here in Colorado is um, second to none and, well, Maybe second to Montana, but it's a lot colder up there in the winter. So That is true. We can ask our friend Larry Day about that. You not only hunt, but you also fish. What kind of fishing is it that you like to do? I like to uh, fish in water for fish. <laughs> That's you, pretty much it. <laughs> you just like to fish. I like to fish. Fly fishing is uh, probably my favorite venture. Um, when I started out, uh, I grew up camping and hunting, fishing with my parents and uh, when I was real young of course I didn't know anything about fly fishing so I used conventional tackle and actually had a little plastic thing that I started off with that I replaced the hook on real quick put a real hook on there and much to my parents dismay was catching fish they didn't figure on that on that little plastic thing but so they caught you caught fish and did they cook them up on the grill uh, they were a little small. <laughs> okay. What is the difference between fly fishing and cast fishing? Um, cast fishing, con- conventional fishing, I think is what you're referring to, is is um, using either spinning gear or bait casting gear. Um, and basically that is um, your lure or your bait, whatever you're using, is the heaviest part of the line and that's what actually casts your line out in fly fishing your line is the heaviest part of your outfit and that 
connects the line that carries your bait, or in this case, your fly, out to the water. So it's a different technique, different different types of um, rods and reels. Okay, so, so what type of fish do you catch fly fishing? Do you, I know trout is a big one, but can you catch bass fish? Or? You, you can catch any fish on a fly rod that you catch on conventional tackle. Okay, that, that makes sense. So when you're out fly fishing, it seems like you are catching mostly trout. Is it because there are not other types of fish in the stream? That is correct. Here in Colorado, mostly uh, the waters are very cold. The streams, uh, the rivers are uh, very cold, and they um, generally are, are a very good habitat for trout and salmonoids. Some places the water gets warmer, and then, then you can find bass and some pike and other warm water species, but mostly the waters coming out of the high mountains are very cold. They're very clean, so it's prime prime place to have trout. What kind of trout are native here to Colorado? Are native to Colorado. The greenback cutthroat trout is the only trout here really that was a native to these waters before they were stocked back in the oh early 1800s with brook trout and brown trout they started to introduce and you know by that time there was a lot of degradation going on out here a lot of mining a lot of pollution and they were trying to replace some of the fish that were lost due to all that so they brought in brown trout brook trout rainbow trout other kind of trout and those were the early stockings but the native fish here is the greenback cutthroat trout so the cutthroat trout now i i know from talking to game warden clayton that there are some trouts that they they want you to catch and not release in certain streams. What fish is that? Is it because it kills the other trout? Well, he's probably referring to some kind of program where they are trying to take um, all the fish out of an area in order to reintroduce species. A lot of that's going on right now up here. Uh, some of the, the high mountain lakes years ago or years it was, they stocked or introduced different kind of fish into the places that either aren't doing well or they have decided that they want to change the program and put in there now the native trout, the trout that were once native to Colorado, reintroduce those. So they're taking out the competing species. And you can do that. Usually they open it up to anglers. You can please take all the fish that you can take. Okay. And what is that native fish again? The greenback cutthroat. The greenback cutthroat. Have you ever caught one of those? Yep. Okay. How long have you been a fly fisherman? Well, I started fly fishing in my early 20s. So that's a long time. In your early 20s, back in Ohio, or where did you fly fish? I was in Ohio then, yeah. Fly fishing in Ohio, how did you get started? Well, at that time, I had a a house that had a big pond in the backyard. It was stocked with bass and bluegill, and I would uh, occasionally catch those. But I decided that that would be a perfect time and perfect place for me to learn how to cast a fly rod. So I went out and local fly shop and bought a rod and a reel and took it home and started catching bass and bluegill out of my pond. Wow. So right there in the backyard. Huh. That's that's interesting. For those who are looking to get into fly fishing, what are the first steps? 
Well, the first step is to really see if you like fishing. If you've been fishing very much, then you know whether you kind of like fishing or not fishing. And and then um, if you kind of like fishing and you decide that you want to try something a little different, try fly fishing, that's something might be interesting to you. Then you go down to your local fly shop and tell the guy what you're looking for that you're interested in. And and there's fly rod outfits and and everything in everybody's budget. so. So what kind of equipment do you recommend to start without breaking the bank because fly fishing equipment could get pretty expensive right well it's like everything you can spend as much as you want pretty much they have fly rods that start at 150 200 and go up from there all the way up to thousand two thousand three thousand dollars wow that's expensive are there websites where fly fishermen can discuss fly fishing or trade or sell equipment I'm sure there are others, North American Fly Fishing Forum and uh, other other areas, I guess, other forums. <laughs> other forums? And Do you belong to any? I, I, I checked the National, the North American Fly Fishing Association uh, website forum. Okay. Would, would you suggest hiring a guide to start? A guide is always a great option, and even if you're not a beginner, a guide is a great tool, especially if you go to a new area. It can flatten out your learning curve, so it puts you on to, to what the fish are keying in on or certain areas or any specific things about the rivers. The guides know those things, and you can you can flatten that learning curve instead of taking two, three days or a week to figure out or not figuring it out at all, they put you on the fish usually pretty much right away. That's good to know. So I know you like to fish in the rivers, but what about lakes or ponds? Oh, they're all good. I, I like the moving water. I like to, the feel of the current when I'm standing in it. But uh, yeah, there's certainly some excellent lakes here in Colorado, ponds, high river, high mountain lakes. And there's a couple of very well-known lakes here that produce some pretty big trout, you know, 10 pounds, 15 pound trout. That's a huge trout. Those are the high mountain lakes. They're high mountain in the regards that they're up South Park, Spinning Reservoir, 11 Mile Reservoir. These are a couple of the big ones. Uh, Terror Reservoir. They're all up in South Park and they're part of the South Platte River. And those are some excellent high mountain, if you want to call it, lakes that produce some pretty uh, good size, what most people would say trophy size fish. Have you ever fished above 11,000 feet? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's not really anything that's different when you're, I guess, is it worth hiking up that big old mountain to that high alpine lake that's at 12,000 feet? Is it worth it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it all depends on uh, what you what you like. I mean, I like the solitude. I like the serenity. I like the views. And you can't beat that at a lake at, say, 12,000 feet somewhere. And you don't really know until you get there whether it's worth fishing or not. And that's sort of the fun sometimes and a lot of unexpected gems up there a lot of big fish in some of those lakes that don't get fish and they don't get pressure the only real difference is that up that high you don't get a lot of the bugs that you do down lower so the fish are pretty much feeding on different things up there than they would at a lower elevation where there's more bugs that makes sense I, I remember one time a couple of years ago we actually hiked up to wild cherry lake and you went fishing while I hiked the 13ers that were around the lake 
lake. Do you remember that day? Yeah, I remember that. And the dogs were running all over. And then a party of about 100 hikers came in. Yeah, that was really weird. They didn't stay long. It was very windy up there. And yeah, there's, there's some very nice cutthroat trout up there. I won't say big because then everybody will be hiking up there to see what's up there. But there's <laughs> the water in high mountain lakes is very clear. Your approach and uh, it has to be very stealthy. There's a lot of wind up there. So there's a little tricky and a little different fishing than some other places. So you use different fishing techniques Yes. when you're up high. Okay, because of that high wind. Where is your absolute favorite place to fish? Where the fish are biting. <laughs> oh, come on. You don't have a favorite place? I, I know that you fly fished in Montana. You fly fished here, Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio. I really like small mountain streams. I like way up high in the wilderness area. There's a couple of places I, I have in mind here along the Continental Divide that are pretty close to the house. That's another thing. You don't have to drive very far. And yeah, that's probably my, my favorite, some small high mountain streams. And yes, there's greenback cutthroats up there. Ooh, nice. So do you plan on taking a few out-of-town trips this year, fly fishing? Lots of them. Lots of them. <laughs> well, that's just great. When this virus thing is over. Oh my gosh, this virus, yes. In general, what is the best time of day to fish? When you can get out. Really? You don't suggest <laughs> morning afternoons yeah I, I say that kind of in a joking manner but yeah mornings generally mornings and evenings is always been a traditional best time to fish when the light is a little bit lower but you know middle of the day can be great especially on a cloudy day or overcast day on a rainy day snowy day those are really great times to fish because the bugs that come off the water then it takes much longer for their wings to dry the rain can kind of pelt them down and smoosh them <laughs> on the water surface and uh, basically the fish just get an easy meal that way okay so fly fishing let me get this straight fly fishing is more about what is outside of the water when it comes to bait yeah when it comes to bait it's uh i wouldn't say outside the water because they obviously have to be in the water for the fish to eat them so you can see things outside of the water sometimes you could notice what bugs are flying around but that might not be what's hatching you could see caddisflies flying all around but they're actually eating blue wing olives or they're eating pmds or whatever else so they're so okay for for our listeners what is a caddisfly uh, it's a type of insect. <laughs> it's a type of insect. It, so it, it's a fly. It, it flies yeah. around. Yeah, there's basically, there's a few different categories. There's mayflies, caddisflies, stoneflies, what they call true flies, which are midges and Midges, okay. Midges are the little tiny black ones, right? Uh, they're usually really tiny, but they just belong to a family of, of what they call true flies. They have a complete metamorphosis going on. They have, for example, they, have, uh, they start by an egg, and then they become a larva, then they become a pupa, and then they transform into an adult. And yeah. you create flies for each stage of this insect. Right. You create an egg? Or is that too soon? That's too soon. Okay, so then you create the, the little... The larva, the pupa, and the adult. Three stages, I understand. If there's three stages of that bug, see, stoneflies, for example, they don't have a complete... Three-stage cycle. Cycle. Mayflies don't. They have what's known as a nymph, um, which is similar to the larval state. Then from a nymph, they crawl out of the water and hatch into an adult. 
they skip one of those stages. So yeah, you're not tying all the different stages for all different bugs because not all bugs have the same stages. And also you use different bugs at different times of the year. Yes. What about the weather? Does the weather affect what kind of fly you're going to use for that particular day? Well, more than the weather are the, are the uh, water conditions, uh, temperature because of, of what might be hatching or not hatching. And if there's no hatch, then, then maybe you're going to fish something a little different you know, a streamer or a nymph or something like that, just to see what's there. Oh, okay. So you tie your own flies, right? How long have you been doing this? Well, I started that shortly after I started fly fishing. You figured if you were going to jump into this, you might as well just jump head first. Well, you know, I heard there was a lot of different aspects to fly fishing and a, a lot more to tying flies. And that's what I was into is a lot. I wanted to see how far I could get into something. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Nice. What kind of materials do you use when you're tying flies? All kinds of different materials. Well, Synthetic, I see some, natural. I, I, I see deer fur and feathers and you can use all kinds of stuff. Historically, going back in time, of course, there were really no synthetic materials back in the turn of the centuries. Mm-hmm. 1400s or whatever. They didn't have polypropylene or whatever. So everything was tied with natural materials. And over the years, uh, some th- synthetic materials have come along. I still really enjoy tying with natural materials. I think nothing looks cooler than uh, some of the feathers and, and pieces of fur. But there's uh, certainly places for synthetic fibers or foam, things like that, too, that are, that are easy and, and float well. So there's a place for about everything. But I prefer to tie with natural. Do some fly fishermen only use synthetic? Probably. I know that really cute. Swiss fly fisherman guy. I think he only used synthetic. Actually, he does because he's <laughs> fishing for pike. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> but there's a good bunny leech. It's called a bunny fly uh, that's tied with some some rabbit fur. Yeah, synthetics generally hold up a little bit better than some of the natural stuff. How long does it take you to make a single fly? Oh, it depends. You can whip them out in a couple of minutes or an hour an hour for a single fly yeah it depends on how complicated it is well that explains a lot yeah okay do you have any advice out there for the beginner fly fishermen get yourself a rod and a reel and get out when you can are there any etiquette things that you want folks to know about beginner fishermen anything etiquette wise First of all, leave no trace, but that's, you know, that goes to any time you're stepping out into the woods. You can uh, go to the shopping mall. You should leave no trace, too. Yeah, leave no trace. Don't uh, generally fly fishing, and that's why kind of right now with this COVID thing going around, fishing's still kind of a cool thing to do because most of the time, 100, 150 feet is minimum distance and so don't crowd anybody if you see them on a river give them lots of space don't walk near the water because they might be working some fish in the water you don't want to spook the fish way around them give them plenty of wide space so i know when you were fly fishing in yellowstone when we were on a road trip up there folks were coming up and taking photos of you pretty was that scaring you was it scaring the fish away uh, no, but it was really interrupting my peace and solitude and focus. And, yeah, pretty annoying. What is the most humane way to handle a fish that you have caught? Um, the most humane way is to never take them out of the water. 
Never take them out of the water. Yeah. Your hands are wet when you're touching them. Yeah, well, you don't have to touch them. You can reach down with your forceps and pop the fly right out. If you use a barbless hook, it comes out real easy. And never so, lift the fish out of the water. So preferably, you don't touch them. Yep. And the safest way to release them, just like you said? Yeah, that's the best way. I mean, if you do have to use a net, then use a, a rubber net, not a nylon, because... The rubber will keep their slime coating intact. The most important thing to a fish is a slime coating, and that prevents him from getting any sickness or bacteria or anything. If you wipe that slime coating off, then he's more apt to get sick. So that's why you always want to handle a fish with wet hands. Use a rubber net so that it doesn't wipe that slime coating off. Try not to take them out of the water because, you know, they don't breathe air. They breathe water. So you don't want to, uh, you know, just think about you sticking your head underneath the water as long as it takes you to get that hook out of his mouth and see if you can hold your breath that long. That makes sense. It's obvious that you have a lot of respect for fish as well as nature itself. Tell me, why do you fish? Wow. I don't know. There's books written about why people fish and all kind of stories and all. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, I don't really know the exact reasons. I mean, there's lots of reasons. It's the solitude. It's the um, being out in nature. It's uh, slowing down. And I guess in the end, everything sort of relates to fly fishing. Tell me about your most memorable fishing experience. Not necessarily the one that got away, but the day you'll always remember there's quite a few of those most recent one was a beautiful rainbow that i caught on my dad's birthday and uh, he had asked me to catch a fish for him that day and i said okay i'll take a picture of it dad and that's quite a thing because i usually don't take the time to take photographs it's a little bit longer to fish out of the water a little more time involved so but uh, i saw a fish uh, feeding in the current and i docked into position and on a second or third drift he took the he took the spinner, and it was a beautiful, pretty close to 20-inch rainbow trout. I had landed, and it was just uh, just a very memorable experience. 20 pounds, I mean, that that's big. 20 pounds is big for 20 a pounds would be huge, but it was 20 inches. Oh, 20 inches. <laughs> How many pounds would it be? Oh, I don't know, a couple pounds maybe. Oh, Pound okay. and a half, two All right. pounds. Okay. Well, Dave, again, thank you for joining me here today in our lovely home in Sawatch, Colorado. And I would like to thank each and every one of you out there in podcast listening land. I appreciate your support. This is Stephanie from the Wapiti Coffee House, and I hope you enjoyed this as much as I have. <laughs>